0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the sun and the moon. Uh, my name is Luna. Um, today we don't have Alex with us. She will be back next week. Um, our guest today is Leah, the owner of Quad Ag. How are you today, Leah? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. good. Um, so I understand you do a lot of work with humic and fulvic acid. Um, I like the science behind it. Um, would you mind telling us a bit about your
1: company, Quad Ag? Certainly. So we started our company about five years ago um, with the intent of bringing humic and felvic and the, and the benefits that they offer in nature into commercial environments. We were we paid particular focus in the legal cannabis market here in Canada and wanted to support those growers and cultivators to improve their plant health and their yields. But part of that has also kept us in um Uh, in the commercial produce side of, uh, of, of greenhouse uh, agriculture as well in controlled environments. Um, And we've just fallen in love with humic and fulvic and, and, and use it as a, as sort of a, a a baseline for nutrient programs so that we can enhance uh, just that natural functionality of what would happen in the soil in a controlled environment that's not growing in soil. So we, Are trying to bring a little bit of that magic of what makes soil so effective with plants and bring some of that synergy into uh, more the unnatural environments. Um, And that's carried us over, as I said, into commercial agriculture as well. Oh, very cool.
0: Um, Can you explain a little bit for our audience, like what exactly are humic and fulvic? Like, what is a humate? How do they function? You know, what are their properties? Where can we find them?
1: Yeah. So humic and fulvic. So humic humic and fulvic acid are components of humates. Humates are a component of organic material that are that makes up soil. So if you have a differentiate between dirt and soil, it's the it's the organic material that really is sets that apart, and you can tell by color, but also composition. Um, humic and fulvic acid are fractions of humates, which means they are components of that larger category of humates. Um, humic acids are predominantly carbon-based, they're very black. That's what makes up that really dark, rich color that you see in really healthy soil. Fulvic acids are a much smaller fraction, but they play a really unique and interesting role in nutrient exchange from the soil into the plants and through plant tissues. So they really are an important part of soil biology and the soil chemistry, and they work as chelators, meaning they bind to ions, and that plays an important role in two ways the carbon-based components, the humic acids, bind to ions and hold them in place. And typically my analogy is it's like a bigger dinner plate around the root zone. And then fulvic acids are actually predominantly oxygen, 45% oxygen. And so they become really effective chelators at actually moving nutrients through plant tissues and into the plant itself to be utilized by the plants. So they play two different roles. So my analogy is the humic acids are like a... A bigger dinner plate, and the fulvic acid is like a bigger fork for the plants to consume.
0: Very interesting. So, so these are negatively charged compounds, then?
1: The humic acids are uh, fulvic acids. Actually, are positively charged, but because we are we have a unique uh, extraction method. It's a proprietary method that actually gives us a much higher concentration, better solubility, because we only extract into a liquid. Because we have better controls over the quality of the product, um, the concentration, but also a unique property with our products is that they have uh, the ionic charge. So as you're saying, the negatively charged would be the humic acid and it is more representative of the soil itself. Um, and then the fulvic acid is more positively charged. So it actually does bind very well to even more stubborn ions like your calciums and magnesiums and allows them to transport and be absorbed better. So they're really a big part of um, the ion exchange and the CEC within the soil that actually allows for nutrients to be retained, moisture to be retained, but also for those nutrients to be more bioavailable.
0: That's awesome. So are these two different products or the same product that contain both humic and fulvic acid?
1: We actually have four different products. One of them is our humic based product. Um, We do blend organic um, kelp extract into that. So we really focus that product on a root health and root zone uh, amendment. So you can uh, amend uh, highly eroded soil or over cultivated soil like in monoculture that are really just depleted and you need to start to regenerate that soil. Um, Ulvic acid we have as a separate product you will find some products on the market that are a blend of the two because in fact, fulvic acid is actually a, a segment of the humic acid molecule. It can just be extracted separately. So you can extract it from the humic acid, whether that's dry or liquid, or you can actually extract it directly from the source using a slightly different method, a different extractant. Um, and that gives you a bit you know, more options to play with when you have two different tools in your toolkit. Uh, Our other two products are blends of micros um, and other uh, macros used for different purposes. One of them is a foliar product and another one is, again, like a soil amendment, but it's meant to boost vigor in early veg and then also um, to stabilize nitrogen in an outdoor environment as well in the ground.
0: So is there like, so I know like a, a bit about um, humates, about folic and, and um, humic acid and stuff, but I'm curious, uh, is there like a proper or ideal ratio between the two to help maximize nutrient uptake and transportation of nutrients through, through plants and cells?
1: So where you would generally find healthy soil and you would, uh, if you centrifuge it, everything was going to settle out. If you were doing, say, in a a column, Um, Mm -hmm. the lower portion uh, is generally going to be the human, which are the insoluble particulate of that soil. And then the greater portion would actually be the humic acid, which is a very dark black. And then like the top five or 7% of that, Column would be a golden amber colored liquid, and that's the fulvic. the fulvic. So a typical ratio that you would see in nature is going to be heavily carbon based because that's what soil is like. Its role is for carbon capture and and feeding <laughs> those carbon hunters and all the microbiota. Um, fulvic acid is you don't need a lot of it, and it plays a really interesting role both in a soil environment. In like if we're talking in a controlled environment as a nutrient and enha- or a nutrient booster, basically an uptake booster, um, making those nutrients more bioavailable in a controlled environment. Um, but it assimilates through the plant. So it actually allows the plant to regulate itself. So it has a much higher degree of stress tolerance, depending on what's going on. And we've had se- several scenarios where temperature's gone off, pH has gone off, the nutrients, you know, the PPM's gone off the charts there's a window of opportunity for the plant to actually self-regulate so that the people can fix whatever the mechanical is that's setting these things off. So in a natural environment, you would see, uh, you know, I don't know if there's any in, in particular ratios, generally we would see more of the humic in that soil environment than you would the fulvic. But when we're applying it, generally we have different programs for the different grow processes. If you're doing, you know, cocoa or other inert media versus a living soil, our application method might be a little bit different. We, we try to like tailor it a little bit to kind of how, how people are growing.
0: So have you noticed an increase in cation exchange capacity the more you use your product in an inert or living soil situation?
1: Yep. Absolutely. Um, And that's one of the things that we look at. We always ask when we're working with commercial clients in particular, especially because they're usually the ones looking at these details, is we go for a soil analysis and we want to look at what that soil composition is from top to bottom. So we're looking at what their existing organic material is, what their organic matter rate is, what their current CEC is, because those two are often correlated very well. But one impact that might obscure that correlation is actually the composition. Highly clay soils might look a lot, you know, higher CEC or they'll have a low CEC but high OM, but it's it's, it's dysfunctional. So our goal is to use these products in a soil environment to uh, repair and restore the right balance of composition within that soil, because over time using humix can actually help to break apart clays, you can, um, you know, compaction, it can help to reduce and break apart compaction, so if uh, farmers in fields are wanting to change how they're farming that field, or how they want to rotate their crops they can actually change the composition of that soil over time. We, we see a lot of this when we're working in some of the vineyards that we've worked in that are almost all sand. They refer to it as sandy soil, but I'm like, there's like, there's no OM. It's less than 0.9% OM. The CEC is maybe around two. Uh, like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how you're growing anything in this, in this soil or this sand. It's really beach sand. So when you're adding these amendments to it, you really are trying to move uh, better, increase the retention so that that CEC Mm -hmm. can function better, but it's also serving a purpose as a prebiotic to the natural microbes and the microbiome that's in that soil. So a lot of, um, there's lots of products that are out there as biostimulants that are microbial based. If they don't have a food source, then those populations are gonna deplete and you've just wasted a lot of money. And those products are not they're not inexpensive. They're not, <laughs> they are they are—they do cost quite a bit. And if the plant's not pushing out an exudate there, there isn't an, a, a sufficient food source to maintain those populations. So having a really good dose of a humic or a liquid carbon um, really does provide that initial food source for that microbiome. And we're really focused on not replacing anything, but replenishing and restoring a natural balance to that ecosystem so that nature can take over and do its course.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, humate is like the primordial food source that like all life kind of began from when we had our our, uh, our little soup, our primordial yep. soup that every and and that we like
2: came from eventually.
0: <laughs> yeah, right that we eventually came from. That you know, humates yeah. were like the foundation of that. Um, it's it's a uh, it's really fascinating stuff. So, yeah. is there such thing as too many humates in a soil?
1: Um, I think too much of anything you can you can be in excess. I mean, you get to a point where there's a sweet spot where you you're looking for optimal performance. And the way we look at it also because we're working with different types of growers and cultivators is you want optimal performance, but also economics. So you want um, the performance to be there, but you don't want it to be cost prohibitive. So yes. Can you have too much? Sure. Can it bog down your system? Sure. But you know, and it depends on the quality of the product that you're choosing. If you've got really good solubility with no particulate, that's going to like, it's a really pure uh, and a high quality Humic acid in a liquid form, you're not going to clog your lines. You're not going to have any hardware issues. That's a big thing. Um, With fulvic acid, same thing. It's going to chelate whatever nutrients are in there. But if you have more fulvic acid in there, um, I should also note pH is also part of this conversation as well, is that humic acids are only soluble at an alkaline pH. And so they're going to tend to um, work well. What they they function at, a, at an alkaline pH. If you drop the pH to acidic, then you do have uh, precipitate. You do have um, fallout of suspension. Of so I've,
0: heard that bef- I've never heard that before. So then, so I mean, most living soils, you know, they sit around like 6.5, um, go down to maybe like 6.3, 6.3 to 6.7, right? Yeah. Um, and if they're not soluble at those, you know, acidities, what function are they serving?
1: So that's more in the neutral zone and that's just fine. So okay, no, no. when you start dropping down below like five, that's when you start to see more acidic solutions. That's when you start to see um, precipitate and fall out. Uh, like the, the, the humix will fall out of suspension. And generally you just see sort of like a bit of a layer at the bottom of the container or the reservoir. On the other okay. hand, Fulvic acid is soluble at any pH, but we have found that it performs optimally at a more acidic pH. So we actually keep ours pretty low. Ours sits at about a 3.2, and one of our other fulvic products sits at about a 4.4. So we are looking at a fairly low pH that when you blend it into either your nutrient solutions, which tend to run a little hot, and they're always looking how to buffer down, you can use fulvic acid as a means to not only chelate those nutrients, and part of that chelation is it actually neutralizes a little bit. The nutrients are still bioavailable, but you're not getting that alkalinity in the reservoir. So you're not doing this dance of uh, of adjusting for pH. And even though it's, it's an organic product and it is a natural way to buffer down, it's stable. So unlike using a citric acid or juices, lemon juice, or whatever people are trying to do, we're doing this dance constantly of doing bicarbon acid to try to neutralize and, and, and balance their reservoir pH. So we found that if you neutralize or, sorry, if you balance your EC or your PPM or whatever your nutrient solution is, and then you apply your humic products, so your humics and fulvics, then adjust finally, and you can do a final tweak on that pH, but we do find that for the most part, the addition of the fulvic acid, if you're adding humic acid into that mix in the reservoir, which they can be mixed together, which is great. At least we know that ours can. We've seen some that don't work well. Um, That, it does bring it into and maintain a bit of stability on that pH in that neutral zone. There may be, depending on what's going on or how hot you know how how high the ppm is that they want uh, for that nutrient solution. Whatever stage in the growth cycle, whatever cultivar they're growing, um, they may need to do a final adjustment or a little tweaking at the end. But ultimately, you don't need. Um, uh, it's more stable of a pH. It doesn't swing like you would see in a lot of hydroponic solutions. Yeah. You don't see so much. I'm just seeing somebody's comment saying that they saw a local fulvic was at 8.4. Yes. So fulvic Mm -hmm. acid is soluble at any pH. Uh, We've just found that it serves such a better function and it works really well when it's at a lower pH because we have this ability to neutralize. Um, And you do see uh, some products will have varied pH. I've seen some humic products that are at a 5.4. So I'm looking at it going, it's positively charged and it's a 5.4. It's functioning more like a like a fulvic acid, but it's being purported and positioned as a soil amendment humic acid carbon, which is very misleading. And I think a lot of that has to do with, until recently, Oregon, because they changed their stance on it. But California has been the main driver in a lot of the misinformation and confusion. They do not recognize fulvic acid as an ingredient, and so we can't even list it on our website. If you come from a California IP to our website, we have different copy. It has, we, we say our signature golden humate <laughs> or something along those lines because we're not allowed to mention the word fulvic acid at all.
0: That's really interesting. Um, so you, you mentioned that there's this big variation between products. Um, where, you know, sometimes are more acidic, sometimes more, you know, alkaline, what influences that? What factors are there that determine the pH of the of humate product?
1: I think it has to do with the extraction method. And if they're using, if they're trying to pull the fulvic acid fraction from a humic acid solution or humic, humic product, they're already mm-hmm. going to be in an alkaline. And so they're maybe not pulling, using enough acid to buffer that down. Our humics are at about an 8.8 to 9 pH. So pulling a fulvic acid out of that would lead it to have a bit of a higher pH. Um, Not, I mean, someone's saying they saw one that was in um, uh, like 8.4 for a fulvic. Uh, In in my experience, it wouldn't be as high performing. Um, These two particles of the same molecule, or if you have a humic acid molecule or you fraction off the, the fulvic component, um, they serve different purposes. So they're both chelating, they're carbon, they're binding, but humic acid is gonna bind out more like toxins and heavy metals. Uh, fulvic acid is really more adept at targeting those nutrient ions that you actually want. So they work really well together, um, because you can either, if you're in a soil environment and you want to lock out any you know, toxins or excess that's in that soil, if there's uh, you know, high potassium in that soil, if it's, you know, it was pasture land for cattle and it has a really high pH, mm-hmm. you can use humic, even though it's very alkaline, and the fulvic acid, and you will find that it will allow for better, uh, a, better nutrient bioavailability in that soil than otherwise if you weren't using it. You'd have a lot of nutrient lockout, in those environments. And we've, like I said, we've done the soil studies on lots of different properties and we've noticed some of these challenges. And we're like, but these plants, even though they were planted in that ground, they performed really, really well. And it was because they were being fed fulvic acid as part of the nutrient mix. So the nutrients that are being fed to those plants were already bioavailable. So that shift in the pH or that sort of outlier scenario of that pH in that soil was less of an issue on an ongoing basis, it's an issue. And it's something that over time we can rectify, but we can still help that farmer and that grower function and get their crops to perform.
0: That's fantastic. So you mentioned a bit, uh, you mentioned something about uh, heavy metals and stuff. And I know in in living soil systems, um, we need to pay a lot of attention. Well, people who are getting their cannabis tested, um, we have to pay attention a lot to high trace minerals, uh, like our manganese, molybdenum, zinc, so on. Um you would mention that it helps you know these I think you said fulvics will bind onto these heavy metals and help them you said become more readily available or you said more No
1: no the humics will actually bind to the heavy metals okay and the fulvic acid actually makes the nutrients more bioavailable is sort of how you would kind of differentiate what is their purpose like how do they how do they work differently even though they work well together how do they differ that's really kind of the the crux of how I would separate the two Humic acids really are there to amend the soil and help improve the soil condition, improve water holding capacity. It doesn't create a gel or anything. You still get really good aeration and percolation. It's, it, it is really there as, as in nature is part of what makes, allows soil to turn over really well. The fulvic acid being um, uh, positively charged and our product in particular is a really high positive charge. We're kind of around the positive three thirty-three fifty millivolts, so it's it's quite high uh, comparatively. For you know, when we look at whenever we come across another humic or product, <clears throat> we send it to a lab so that we can get an analysis done. We do the heavy metals, we do all of you know, whole composition analysis, so that we really get a sense of what are other products on the market. A fulvic acid true fulvic acid should be a really golden color like an amber color and clear so if you see a fulvic acid that's murky it's not just fulvic acid and when we talk about um sort of the quality and variance in quality the quality is going to dictate how well the product works so like i said fulvic acid is going to be focused on chelating nutrients bioavailability Um, You do not need a whole lot of it for it to perform really well. If you're in an inert environment, what we do is essentially recreate the humic and fulvic as that relationship in a healthy soil environment and bring it into a cocoa or rock wool or any other inert material. We've done everything from living soil all the way to aeroponics. So we know that we're able to apply these um, components to serve as an adjunct to any nutrient nutrient program based on what you're growing and how you're growing it. Um, But to speak to the uh, variance in quality, this has been really a a big frustration. I noticed somebody earlier had mentioned that the labels are all different in California. They are, they can only list humic acid as the uh, non uh, like a non nutritional ingredient it is because you you have to have a guaranteed analysis, but if all it is is humic acid, there is, there's trace in there, but not anything at a level sufficient that you need to declare on a label. So what do you declare? You declare it's humic acid and they've, they've accepted humic acid, but fulvic acid is different. And a lot of that has to do with the, the, being able to quantify what's actually in that product in that bottle and fulvic acid up until the last couple of years has been challenging in in being able to be very clearly identify what's in that product. There are specific tests for humic acid. There's a couple different tests, which leads to confusion. One is a, a color test. So it's a spectrometry, it's looking at light, being able to pass through that solution versus a precipitate test, which is actually going to dry down that solution and see actually how much uh, carbon product in humic is actually in that, in that sample. Um, So you'll see on humic acid products, there might be a 2% or 5%, but you might also see 12% and 20%. They're not the same test. So anything that's the lower quotient, the lower concentration with a lower input rate, that's actually a very highly concentrated product. If it is a high input rate and a high number, it's not a high concentration product. And they're using different tests. So it's very misleading to a consumer to say, oh, here's a 12% humic liquid product, but you know, quad egg on one of our old labels, have so changed the labels now, I include both test results on it just for clarity so people can understand it. I, I'm a big believer in education. Mm-hmm. Um, so our precipitate test is on average about 5.6%. I claim 5% just for, for stability. Uh, our colometric test is 20 to 22% on average. So it's the same product, but depending on the method of testing, it's a very different. It appears to be a very different result. And the same challenge was in fulvic acid. Is until recently they've developed there's a a Lamar test or an ISO test under the Lamar Lamar method that actually tests the hydrophobic fulvic acid because there are hydrophilic fulvic acids as well. It's just their chemical composition. There's some that are hydrophobic and some are hydrophilic. But in those extraction methods, when you see a fulvic acid that says that it's 5% and up, if it's a liquid, it is very likely an extraction method that is probably more alkaline and it's pulling out more components from that source material. So you're getting other amino acids that are naturally present in that source material. You're getting a wide range of things and you're getting humic acid. So I, I find that those products tend to be darker in color if they're claiming a really high concentration. And some of them look really murky. They look like silt from the bottom of a pond. And I'm like, I wouldn't put that in a hydro system.
0: (laughs) Can you explain the difference in behavior between hydrophilic and hydrophobic? Um, So I know hydrophobic means, you know, repel water, the other one, you know, it wants water, right? But what is the behavior difference between the two fulvic acids?
1: Well, I think it's just, it's chelating capacity and what it's gonna bind to is really what it comes down to. Cause there's some, some um, aspects of what you're putting into your uh, reservoir that are going to be, I mean, it's water soluble, but some things, if you have something that's hydrophilic, uh, it's going to blend a lot easier in your system. The hydrophobic is just, it's just a part, it's a form of the fulvic acids in terms of how the two perform differently. They all work kind of together. It's simply a method of how do you identify the, uh, and quantify how much fulvic is in that solution. And this particular testing method has been able to identify the hydrophobic folvic acid. And so that's been the more reliable test to be able to qualify the quality of the product that's being presented to that customer.
0: Which one do you think is better?
1: Well, they're all together. So they're was, all together. Yeah, they're all together. They all come out when you when you do the extraction, they're all whether it's hydrophilic or hydrophobic, it really does not matter. And and I don't think like that the space really has Putting enough time and attention into differentiating those two and seeing, but it's I always, I also take it back to the analogy of you know with carrots, they know that beta carotene is a really uh, you know beneficial component for your eyes, but if you take it out of the carrot, it's not as effective. It's that entourage effect; they all work together and they work better. Okay. In that. Yeah, um, the difference being is that when you go to California and you look at a product and it says humic acid on it, it might be a completely or predominantly fulvic acid product but they have the residual 0.06% humic acid. And that's what they claim on their label because California won't recognize fulvic acid. And I think the way that it stems and it took us two and a half years to get all of our registrations with California for organic. um, One of the, because I had this conversation several times with several different people in in CDFA and really it came down to there's inconsistencies when they have a product that comes in and is tested and they, they provide like a fulvic acid test they're getting wildly different percentages and some are 25%, but what they've done is they've taken a powdered fulvic acid and mixed it into a solution. So sure. You might have a 25% fulvic acid, but how effective is it and how much sediment, like what's the solubility of it. And, and again, it comes to consistency and product quality. And if you're going to be registered as an organic product, they want the consistency and the, and the quality to be there that they, are, they have a reliability that if they go to a store and they pull a product and they test it, that it's gonna be consistent every single time. And some of the challenges with these, some of the tests, like in California, all we could do was an organic matter test. So our organic matter test is three and a half percent. We have no humic acid. We couldn't claim humic acid because the way that we extract, there's no humic acid in our fulvic. So it okay. is a really pure fulvic acid. So that was one of our biggest challenges: is well, how do we claim it? Like, what do we do? And the organic matter was the only way in which to do that. Um, but you know, you look at our product; it says three and a half percent organic matter. We know that we're at about a one point six percent hydrophobic fulvic acid because we've done the rigorous testing on it, and we haven't found a fulvic acid that comes too close to that. Like one percent is about as close as we've seen. Um, so broad. A spectrum of quality but then there's also looking at there's a lot of powdered product that you can get from overseas and also you know milled down and ground down locally but the powdered product isn't as active and if you're putting like biochar in your soil for anyone that's doing living soils they know that if you add biochar it's not adding carbon to your soil you're actually t- providing an opposite effect that's going to take a lot more time to assimilate that component into the soil it takes a lot longer for the microbes to break those products down so if you took a ground letter and i've talked to another producer they're like oh we have an insoluble letter it's ground powder it's great we don't compete i'm like you're right we don't <laughs> because you're going to add a, a rock to the soil it's going to take the microbes sometimes years to break that down, to release those minerals so that they're now available in that soil ecosystem. So if you want the microbes to be you know, chewing out the exudate and converting that into fuel for your plants, you don't want them busy with rocks and stones and breaking those things down. So again, it's efficiency.
0: Gotcha. So, so what do you think about like granular humates and you were talking about the powdered products? Um, what about like granular? I know a lot of people built living soils with granular humates.
1: It's the same thing. If you're looking at, um, granular is, plays a great role when you're dealing with, uh, like highly clay soils. Like if you're trying to correct soil composition, granular is a great way of doing that because it, it, it adds structure that, it will take time for that to break down. That's great, but for the for the inter for the interim for the now, it's providing um, sort of a stopgap on improving the structure. So you have better aeration and percolation um, within that soil. So if you if you're dealing with challenging soils, then yeah, granular is great. If you're not dealing with challenging soil conditions in terms of composition, and you're dealing more with the challenge of improving the organic matter, improving improving the nutrient retention, the moisture retention within that soil, so that the microbes, uh, all, like the all the microbiome and all the microbial um, activity is you know in an in an ecosystem where they can thrive. Um, You know, it depends on what the challenge is that you're you're identifying, what you're trying to correct for. So structure, yeah, granular can definitely serve a purpose. Um, For most of the people that we work with, highly clay soils aren't typically what we work with. Just typically where I am, I'm in um, the lower I live in the Lower Mainland of BC, and we've got tons of greenhouses, lots of farmland. And you go hop over the hills, and then you get the Okanagan, which was just recently on fire. You've got loads of farmland in there, and that also carries down the Pacific Northwest in the US as well. So we have a lot of similarities in in those regions, and there's a lot of um, old, um, you know, glacial tracks where you have very sandy rocky type soil compositions that are very porous and they can't hold on to stink so you find a lot of the cultivators especially in vineyards or outdoor field um, or outdoor um, they're fertigating and they're they're spoon feeding on a daily basis because there's no way for that material to actually hold anything they're just losing it's all just leaching
0: yeah immediately just washing out
1: Yeah. So they spoon feed and they're trying to make adjustments and and allow the plants to be, to have the opportunity to, to take in those nutrients. When you throw down carbon in there, that that's an active, it's going to bind to those uh, those, the rocks and the sand and the silt and everything and allow for better retention. And we have seen, we have seen that in our soil studies that we've been able to sort of year over year, just eke the OM up and you see that correlation in the CEC as well. You factor pH into that as well. So there's a bit of a mix, but.
0: So I'm curious, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to word this question properly. So we know that, you know, these, these carbon-based compounds, you know, the humic and fulvic acid, um, they provide like uh, energy, food source for a lot of different microbes and stuff. They also bind onto different um, elements, different ions. Um, I use like a fulvic acid product in conjunction with like a micronized uh, phosphorus and calcium um, to help them kind of bind and make more readily available. Um, But if I'm adding it to a living soil system that's, you know, really high in organic matter, really high in, you know, biodiversity, how much of that is going to be binding to like nutrients compared to being consumed by biology? And what would be the best way to... Um, what would be the best way to like optimize it, to make it more efficient so that it's making nutrients more available instead of being consumed by biology? Should, would it be better to feed biology something else and then feed it humic acid? Like what's the best way to go about something like that?
1: Well, in a living soil environment, Usually, what we would recommend is just an initial drench that before your plants are pushing out an exudate, because really that's what the biology wants to go after. That's the buffet right. wants, right? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people ask, uh, you know, using um, different sugar compounds. They're using molasses and different things, and that's great, but not on an ongoing basis. You you want you want the microbes feeding off of the exudate because that's the natural exchange, and, yeah, and that's so. Part of-
0: rise of fatty cycle, cycle yeah. wants to work, right? Yeah,
1: so it wants to work. And so that's really what we're, we're trying to, our, our goal is to educate people that are less experienced with this, but people that are diving into the living soil, they're understanding that biology. So generally we would only recommend using humic acid as sort of an initial drench to be that initial food source that as the plants are growing and developing and then have an established root system that they are pushing out an exudate, then you're kind of feeding into that cycle. So really it's just like a little bit of a boost uh, at that beginning phase. Uh, if they're changing, if they're adding any um, uh, top dressing partway through, you can add a little bit more again, just to sort of help retain some of some of the, those nutrients and those actives that you're putting in that you're dressing down. Okay. Ulvic acid is the only one that I would say is if you're watering, add a little fulvic to it because it's not it's it's going to allow any of those bio, those nutrients to be more available and and the unique thing about fulvic acid it's not just about chelating the nutrients and just sitting there it is such a tiny molecule and it is so it's so movement heavy it moves really well through unlignified tissue so this is an awesome Foliar amendment as well. If you do need to do any kind of an elemental IPM, we have a lot of vineyards that do like an elemental sulfur. If they know that PM might be an issue just because the weather is changing, they'll blend that in with a fulvic acid and they get better absorption of the sulfur and they get better, like better application. So it blends and adapts really well into either a systemic application, general watering or as a foliar. So you have a lot more flexibility in how you can utilize it at any stage of your grow. Um, I have a fellow right now that I I love when people are cowboys (laughs) because he's like, I'm doing this. We never recommend, obviously with cannabis, we don't recommend using a foliar into flower. This guy's like, I'm doing it. And he's got his, his plants are growing in an incredible way, but he's only applying it to the fan leaves. So he's like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere near the flowers, but I am applying it near the fan leaves because it is improving photosynthesis. How, I, how do you do that? How do you only
0: apply to fan leaves and not to flower? You go in like one leaf at a time?
1: I think it's just more, he's maybe like spraying it down and trying to avoid the colas where he hasn't trimmed or he hasn't lollipop, whatever his trim method is. But he's like, I don't care, I'm doing it. And they're frosty. They're still six weeks okay. away. And they look like they're about a week away from harvest. They're doing incredibly well. I know a few I know a few growers a commercial facility in California actually was talking with their IPM team and they're like, oh yeah we we have like a, a micronized spray system that we we spray almost uh, almost up until harvest. I'm like, really? Really? Just
0: just of acid.
1: Well, they do, they yeah, the do, mic their mic 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 cleans, mic. and I'm like, well, our fulvic acid would blend into that because one of the big benefits of adding fulvic into a nutrient program or as a foliar program, any kind of nutrient mix is because it's more, it's more effective at chelating and making those nutrients more bioavailable. You can actually use a lower input of those nutrients because the smaller input is actually performing better. So you're actually getting more bang from a lower spend in one of our commercial facilities, a uh, cannabis facility here in Canada, we did a trial over four different strains, um, all cocoa, hydroponic, um, about 4,500 plants kind of across these four strains. And one of the trial sections had a mechanical issue, their line injection system, the fertigation system shut down. So all they could do is water for about a week and so they could figure out the mechanical and, and get it back online. Our trial section continued to thrive, where you look and I can share a photo, the segment the side sections that are the exact same strain, cloned at the same time, it's all same pheno, they look like completely different phenos or that they are weeks apart. Uh, because they treated the cocoa with humic, there's better retention of nutrients in the root zone that if even though they were only able to feed it water, the plant could still pull up nutrients because it still had available nutrients to it. Whereas the other plants, everything leaked out, everything leached right out with the drainage. All they had was water. And so the plant started to sort of shut down a little bit and slow down because they just weren't getting the nutrients they needed. So we do look at the cost efficiencies. Um, In in a living soil environment, we want to nurture the biology a commercial environment where they're growing in an intermediate or somebody as a home grower is like i love growing in cocoa great you need to make sure you're using a humic acid that's going to help add carbon to that space and attach to those filaments so that you have better moisture retention if you accidentally go a little too dry or if it gets too hot it's not going to dry out as quickly it doesn't retain nutrients to the point or to retain water to the point where you're going to suffocate the roots you it, it's not like that there's some products that kind of gel and it's really unnerving when you see that because you're like well are my roots getting air because they still need air
0: <laughs> so you had mentioned um using you know uh, fulvic acid in combination with other nutrients that you can use less of that nutrient because it's more uh, efficient, more effective. Is there like a calculation that you can use based on like percentage of humic and fulvic acid content in relation to your typical like dosing regimen or uh, nutrient regimen to kind of account That's a for good
1: that? question, and it's a tough one to answer because every grower has their magic sauce, and so how you sure. to... I I spent years, um, diving into talking to different cultivators and like how to like really tailor our products into their system. And our goal really is like, keep it as simple as possible. Um, just add it to your reservoir, add it to whatever your foliar, foliar is, um, or just blend it into your soil or media mix uh, to keep it really simple. We're just adding into what you're already doing. We're not adding any more complication or adding really anything much to your SOP than just a line item of this product being added. That's it. Um, But every grower has a little bit of a different mix. I know some guys that are like, they jack up the, the calcium and magnesium. And I'm like, but you don't need to. And I've actually had a couple growers. Um, I've had a few growers. Uh, one in particular is actually in Alaska. And he's like, I, any of my bud boosters and flower boosters at the very end, he's like, I didn't need any of it. All I did was add the fulvic acid and maybe adjusted my, P, my, my my EC down just a little bit mm-hmm. than what I would normally do. And he still exceeded 20% more than what he normally would have produced in that facility. And a quarter of his facility mechanical shutdown, he, he, he it was inoperable. So he produced 20% more with three quarters of the space. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So that's when... Amazing. When you don't see what, and you know, our, our tagline originally when we started this was allow your plants to unlock their genetic potential. Mm-hmm. Because if you reduce right. that environmental stress here, the plant kind of relaxes into it. And if right. there a lot of times you don't see that stress until it's, it's to us to a point where you're starting to see it. Now it's now it's almost beyond repair when you start to see some of those stressors. But if you can allow the plant to just sort of relax into that process and and be receptive to nutrient uptake, you resolve a lot of those things, and so you don't actually have a lot of the issues that can can come up, or they're much more stress tolerant when unforeseen circumstances crop up, like sudden heat waves, uh, shifts in pH, if the computer shuts down and the irrigation stops, or the fertigation system line, the fertigation line injection uh, shuts down, and all they can do is water issues are always going to crop up. So if you allow your plant to be a bit more self-sufficient and uh, at ease, this is a way that you can introduce that into um, a non-soil environment. And it's kind of an insurance policy that if you make a mistake, if the pH swings or if you, oops, the the the, the PPM gets too hot and you need to correct, you have a window to do that where your plant's not going to hate you for it. <laughs> they bounce back really well.
0: Um, is there a situation where using humic and fulvic acid isn't appropriate and like can cause damage to your plants?
1: Um, I haven't. We haven't had an experience where it's been problematic. I think maybe where I think these they might be sort of specific cases. Like if you're in. Um, a really hot environment where your dry back is slow like if you're cloning we find that our when we do when we do use our products in clone programs they work really really well um, again it comes down to the technique i was working with one grower where their cloning technique they clone in uh rockwool and their preferred dry back is really severe so they want to dry back to like 20%
2: Okay. Really
1: yeah. They, they, they want the stem to start lignifying and hardening off. Like they're it's, it's, I'm like, it's kind of ruthless to the babies. are not they? You think he's like, it's how it works for me. I'm like, I'm, I'm seeing the sea of green. I can't deny. So okay. I can argue where for him, the humic acid, it slowed down that dry back rate because it was holding a little bit more moisture than what he liked his process to be. So this is where from a commercial standpoint, the, hum- the humic
0: liked- acid specifically,
1: the humic acid specifically. Yeah. Okay. Because it's going to hold on to more moisture in it, it by nature. It's going to hold on to a little bit yes. more moisture in, in a rock wool or in a cocoa media or in a peat moss type environment, uh-huh. where it's an inert media where you're going to get like moisture is just going to r- r- pour right through basically. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's going to hold on to a little bit more to keep those fibers moist and the carbon's going to hold on to some moisture. So for him in particular, in that kind of scenario, It wasn't the most appropriate application, and we wanted to wait until, you know, after that first severe dryback or when they're maybe going into hardening off um, and moving them into sort of the the next phase of that particular facility, how they were set up. So there are instances, sure, where it may inhibit what the grower is used to doing and how they like, how they've got their process. Like I said, every grower's kind of got their secret sauce. They've got their secret, their, their proprietary process. Sure. Um, but sometimes it might interfere. And so that's part of where our communication is. But for, for, you know, general applications, if you amend or soak your rock wool or cocoa or your easy plugs, whatever you're using with a, you know, a four mil per liter or sort of around a 20, 20 mil per gallon type solution ratio, um, or even a basically a 0.5% solution essentially is kind of what you're going for that is a great ratio just to, to re-soak those and, and hydrate those um, that material that they are going to hold their moisture sufficiently um, for the average grower. If you have a particular technique, maybe it's not the right fit at that stage, but it will play a role at a different stage. In living soil, really, we just focus on drenching where the root zone is going to be in that bed. If they're planting in beds. um, We don't need to amend the entire bed. It's, again, when it comes to cost efficiency, that's just excessive and it's not necessary. But we work really well with compost teas as well. So when somebody has fermented their compost tea, you can add our products directly to that and use that as part of the feed. And so we've worked with a lot of regenerative um, cannabis growers that do that and it works really well.
0: Are people doing it pre or post brew?
1: I, th- I think it really depends on the grower. On what you're trying to accomplish right. Yeah, yeah. I've I have found that. Be- again, it's it comes down to where you have your nutrient mix, and then you add the humics and fulvics to adjust for the pH. That's kind of the ideal stage. So when we were working with a um an aeroponics facility they had like wild results because i mean they're media less like it's literally the roots are hanging in a fog we can fog our product even our humic you could fog uh, which is unique but you know they're resetting their reservoir every week so they're draining their reservoir one sec joss quiet um, they're, uh, when they're, uh, fogging their product or their, their solution, they have a very full reservoir that's, you know, the full nutrient mix. And as the plants are drinking and consuming it, that depletes and they're just topping up with water. So it's diluting as the week goes on, they empty it out and then they're redosing it. So every week they're getting a reset. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in those kind of environments, you are recreating that soil relationship, even though there's no soil there. So, so it was really unique. Um, aeroponics is just ripe with challenges, um, just because of you have There's to. Something can go wrong. Oh, the so the much, green so zone is like this narrow, and then it's like dead zone on either side. As soon as something mm-hmm. goes out of whack, it's like it's a, a top spinning, and you're just dancing trying to keep things going. It's just yeah. Oh
0: yeah. If any mechanical failure, and you have 15 minutes before your crop is dead, you know. Like.
1: Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. And we went through a bunch of trials with them and we had some of those experiences, but one of our, one of our first trials with them, they were very like rigorous on it. Their root mass increase was about 87%. They're like, we've never had this. That is crazy. Every week they were cleaning the res and pulling the roots out of the drain because like, we've never had to do this before. So, they constantly had to pull the roots out of my kid. Maybe we need to dial back the humic and the kelp because the kelp has a natural biostimulant in it. It has the naturally in it. I'm like, maybe we don't need quite so much of that because that's a little excessive for you guys. All right. But they ended up with an 81% dry weight yield increase.
0: I'm sorry. I'm trying to get my camera to focus. 81% dry back yield increase. Is that what you said? They
1: had a dry weight yield increase of about 81%. That's insane. It's crazy. That's a
0: massive difference. And this is in the aeroponic um, growth facility.
1: This was in an aeroponic facility. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the subsequent trials that we did with them, something went off. The environment went down. The server went down. And so for, they didn't know if it was an hour or nine hours because it happened overnight. They had no idea. Everything went off. So it's like all of our trial material. It was like we had... 36 of the, of the control on that strain, but like 80 of the other, like, so all the numbers were off. I'm like, we could kind of calculate it and get an idea of what the per plant basis is, but everything was thrown off. So it didn't.
0: Can I ask how much of your product you were using per gallon? So are you allowed to give out that information?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, 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 because oh, cool. um, well, it's, it's still pretty typical, but you know, generally what we would do, and I do it a little bit differently, and this is just kind of come from a bit of experience, so as I said, I've spent years trying to craft custom input programs for some of these commercial growers. Typically, we would look at about, like in an aeroponic environment, the fulvic acid, we would aim for about a one mil per liter, so about four mil or just under four mil per gallon. Okay. Um, the humic acid we ran, the original, original trial we ran with them was the same. It was one, one mil per liter or just under four mil per gallon. And then we tweaked it. We dropped that down a little bit on the subsequent trials, but like things went off. So we really didn't get good concrete data out of it. Um, typically what we will do if you're in a somewhat larger environment, but it does work in kind of any environment. If you're just kind of growing a plant at home, one milliliter per plant per week. Okay. So really so your water volume is always different depending on the grower. Like you, some growers might have 50 gallon drum that they're pre-mixing and that's what they're feeding for their 16 plants throughout the week. They might have a 2000 gallon reservoir that they're feeding. That's a, it's a matriarchal reservoir that's feeding several rooms. So the water volume and, and the way that they different facilities implement their nutrient programs it becomes really challenging so what we learned when i was actually <clears throat> we were doing this with a, a large facility that was doing it we did a cucumber trial and it's in a in a greenhouse environment and that's all we did we did one mil per plant per week and that was our input rate and it was brilliant we showed we produced off of a two acre section we increased there and this was a section that was really struggling um they had fusarium issues and it was a whole other challenge that is natural challenge in greenhouses. But we still produced um, almost 15,000 kilos of cucumber in addition to like over their control. So it worked out to be about a 12% increase in cucumber. They're like, if we could get one or two, we'd be pumped. And we did 12. So they're like, okay, this is great. <laughs> yeah, more um, than pace for
0: yourself then, huh?
1: Oh, more than pay for sales. Uh, Generally, we don't see an ROI for less than a three or four X. So cost of our products, because it's such a low input, because we have a higher concentration, we've got great solubility, but we have a higher concentration, and that added, that increased ionic charge just allows that product to perform much better with less product. So we're always looking at what's going to benefit the farmer or the or the producer best in terms of productivity, but also being very mindful of their cost. Because they're gotten very narrow margins as it is. I don't want to be an extraneous cost on them. I wanna add benefit, I wanna add value. So from a, from a producer standpoint, it is a cost efficiency thing. Increasing your yield, that's revenue. Reducing your costs, that keeps the bean counters happy. <laughs> right. So overall, it's a, it's a net benefit. Um, but you know, we can also look in in outdoor environments and soil environments is we're also focusing on regenerating that soil so that there's a natural productivity. That it's not about, we're not a nutrient. We are a soil component that we're restoring and replenishing where it has either been eroded away or just depleted for a variety of reasons. So
0: um, a lot of our audience, you know, uh, this is like a big like living soil kind of channel. We talk about like living soil and building soil and all that stuff. Um, You mentioned that you had multiple different products. Um, Do you have one that might be best for people who are working in a living soil system?
1: I have three so i have there's only one product that we sell that is not uh, cdfa oim so it's not organic because it does have an ammonium sulfate in it so it has a salt based uh nitrogen and sulfur this is one that if you are in an indoor scenario and are struggling with vigor or they're compressing their veg phase they can get a boost of vigorous growth in that shortened amount of time so it's a specific product it's really just a it's a treatment that's used in certain scenarios but our main okay. program is is excellent for all all organic. Um, our humonic is humic acid and our humic acid and um, an organic kelp extract. So it delivers enzymes, B vitamins, and breast no steroids So we focus on root boosts for that product. It's always going to go into whatever your media is, it's going to be poured into or drenched into your garden bed, you can mix and turn over your compost with this product, it'll improve the breakdown and the nutrient bioavailability that's already in that compost. It also reduces the odor for so any of the mushroom people, it'll help reduce the odor of that compost. (laughs) And in a significant amount, like 60 to 70% odor reduction. So it's wild. Um, our Fulonic is our pure folic acid through and through. You can add it systemically. You can add it to your watering water. You can blend it in as a foliar, whatever you want to use it as. I know people that have a particular foliar recipe that they really like to use. And that's where the Fulonic fits really nicely is they can blend that into their existing or preferred foliar mix. Um, and they can u- utilize it that way. And it usually it's a, if you're doing a weekly spray, again, it's a 0.5% solution. If you're spreading those sprays out, you can do a 1% solution. There's really no harm in that product. And there's also been some more anecdotal studies. But if you do a high concentration fulvic acid as a PM treatment, it can actually reduce PM on its own, just using fulvic acid. I want to see more studies on that, and the fellow that was doing these studies hasn't released any of the papers. But I'm dying to get at it. Um, Our third product is our F2 Foliar. It is our our folonic as a base, but we blend in um, boron, zinc, manganese, and sulfur. But it's still all organic, Um, and that really focuses on photosynthesis. So all of those components are now applied at the canopy level, where it can be assimilated and utilized by the cells, enhancing the chlorophyll production and other metabolic processes in the leaf tissue, or like within clones in that, that, that tender stem, it still can absorb. So you do get a more better photosynthesis means higher bricks, more sugar, more energy for the plants to push out more roots if they're clones or young plants, or they have more exudate to push out that's feeding that microbiome to nourish the plant again. So those are the three main products that we, we work with. And like I said, our fuel product is more specific and is utilized in, in, in specific situations.
0: Okay. What about like secondary metabolite production and cannabis? Have you noticed an increase in like those other compounds?
1: As um, oh, like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. We see increased potency. We've seen um, I, or in certain scenarios more stable potency. So if they've been struggling with potency or getting stable potency from crop to crop, we do find that there is uh, more consistency there. Um, I've had some growers that have seen upwards of, I would say it's safe to say about anywhere from like a two to five or so percent increase in overall cannabinoids can be okay. seen. I've had some outliers that have seen an increase of 20%. But again, these are strains that are struggling with some form of stressor that's inhibiting their ability to to, to build out those terpenes and uh, cannabinoids.
0: Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. We all like to hear that. We all like to have stinkier, more potent flower. Absolutely. And more. <laughs> so why, why did you decide to team your product with kelp specifically?
1: Um, because both work really, really well at the root zone and they really focus on, um, and they serve, they serve a good benefit to the root zone. And often people are blending those two together anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just made sense for a a one, a root focused product and a, in a, from a holistic standpoint, it's not just, humic for the soil it's humic for the soil but also the kelp extract helps to benefit the microbiota but also stimulate the plant so we wanted to have that sort of synergy between the two
0: okay yeah. um i remember one time reading a study i think maybe it was from like cornell um where they had like a very specific they were playing with like specific ratios between kelp and uh humic acid mm-hmm. um to see like which ones worked best and i believe it was like a five to two humic to kelp have you ever
1: heard of that I haven't seen that I'd be curious to see that study um we've found that um, and through our own testing as well um, anywhere from a three to ten percent but it depends on the kelp right so it depends yeah. on the kelp and the source the quality um, and and what it is actually delivering if you have so for example there's not a lot of kelp products that you can fog so you it it sure. It has a lot of particulate to it. There's a lot of um, organic matter in it. So that... you're able
0: to fog your kelp product? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. I've, ne- I've
0: never heard of anyone doing that before.
1: I know. And they, uh, the, this, these guys also tried did a side-by-side with another fulvic product. That was murky and had like a thick layer of like sediment. It was like silt, mm-hmm. sediment, sediment at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It lasted, they last that one lasted about two weeks in their system. They're like, oh my God, it's clogging everything. It's horrible. Um, but ours would fog. I mean, and, and the only downside, obviously, besides that excessive root mass with happy root mass um, is a lot of exudate. And in a super closed environment like aeroponics, you're going to have biofilm. And so, right. did it do the biofilm? Sure did. Uh, That's where we're like, maybe we dial back on the humonics so that it's not, that the plant's not so excited that we can help to like drive back some of the, um, that stimulation so we can reduce that biofilm, but it's something that is innately a challenge through and through with aeroponics. So we exacerbated a little bit. And that's sort of part part of dialing it in is what is going to be the right proportions for each system and, and, even if they use the same hardware the people running it are going to have a little bit of a nuance on how they grow and how they're going to run the system so there's always going to be a little bit of difference yeah. um,
0: so we have a question um, mm-hmm. where is the kelp sourced from
1: um, it's sourced from north america and it's a proprietary <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah. there's a um, lot of different kelps out there so yeah we, we work with a, um, a kelp producer that puts a puts out a really, really good product and it's really clean. And that's what, what we were looking for.
0: Can you talk about um, where you source the inputs to make your humic and fulvic acid?
1: Those are also North America based, but there are lots of um, uh, humic deposits that we're exploring also. We just want to test and make sure that the quality is um, congruent with the formulas we already have. So if we do um, add another source for Capacity sake that there's consistency in in the product that 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 is on the shelf that we're we're always working with the same standard.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um. Do you find that there's a lot of variation in the quality of the inputs that you're getting based on like the batch or the season time of year? No. No.
1: no the no. deposits really are the deposits because they are ancient, ancient deposits, and they're massive, and they're all over the world. So it, it technically it is a renewable resource the of kelp. Of kelp.
0: Is that what you're saying? You're talking about deposits of no. You're talking oh, about deposits
1: no, of no, the Leonardite.
0: Leonardite. Yeah. Okay. 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 I was like, what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> yeah. No. But but kelp kelp is a very fast growing. It is a renewable resource, sure. and when it's harvested sustainably and and appropriately, um, uh, it it is a it's a very wide, uh, very abundant resource, and and there's kelp farms cropping up all over because it's. It's utilized in a lot of different ways. Um, We use a a, a blended out extract from it.
0: Why did you decide to use Leonardite?
1: Leonardite has been uh, thoroughly tested for decades now as being a, probably the most um, beneficial source of humates. Um, It's a soft brown coal. It hasn't lignified. It has had a deep maturation and humification, which is that rotting process that allows for sufficient breakdown that you You get a lot of really beneficial trace minerals out of it as well as a really good, consistent, reliable, high quality source of humic acids and and humates. So the reason why we chose Leonardite, there's lignite coal, which is lignified. It's harder. Um, It's harder to process, which means there's more energy going into it. Um, There's, uh, you know, peak bugs. There's different like lake bed silts and things like that. They haven't had as much time to go through that humification process. So it really comes down to consistency and quality, and that every time we're extracting from that material, every batch and every load that comes in, we know we're getting a consistent result every time.
0: That's fantastic. I have learned so much from, from this talk with you. Thank you so much for being on here. My pleasure. Um, there's just There's so much to humic and, and fulvic acid and the roles that they play in, in nature and in the garden.
1: Yep. And, and, and to people too. I know, uh, I'm sure Ken, I think I saw him popping up some of our other websites. You can feed these products to animals if it's the right manufactured formula. So we actually do have a product uh, that is for, for animals. Um, again, it improves their digestive health. It helps to restore gut microbiota. Um, and then you can also feed it to humans. We drink it. I've got it in my water bottle. I drink it every day. Um, it, again, it helps to improve, um, reduces inflammation. It helps to improve gut microbiota. Um, humic has an interesting in a gut system. Well, in the soil as well, the soil to plants is what the gut is to animals and people. Um, there's a lot of synergy there and that the microbes are what's breaking down that food source to uh, give us the, the, the form of that nutrient that we can actually absorb and utilize. They play that same role. Um, so with, with, Humic acids in a gut system actually protects the mucus lining within that gut tract. It, they reduce gram-negative bacteria, allowing the beneficials to flourish. So if you have somebody who has SIBO, for example, which is the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you can actually see an immediate change within two or three days, sometimes a week. They're like, I don't have the symptoms. I don't have the same gut symptoms that I had. Um, With animals, it can like in horses, it can reduce or prevent colic and colic can kill horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, An instance on a dairy farm where somehow through the windstorms, alfalfa got into their grain bins. They were feeding the young cattle like they're maybe their yearlings. They're pretty young and they got really sick. About 10 of them got really, really sick. Two of them died and the vet was out trying to figure out what was going on. And we were running a trial with this guy. We hadn't brought product on site for him yet. He's like, do you have any samples? I'm having an issue. I'm like, sure. We brought out a 10 liter and they added it to the water. The cows just drank it up. And within a couple of days, they're like, they're fine. Like, I don't know what it was. And they went and figured it out. They're like, it's the alfalfa. Alfalfa causes bloat in ruminating animals. Whereas if you have a horse, they love alfalfa but they don't have a ruminating digestive system. They don't have a multigastric system. So in these ruminating animals, alfalfa actually causes a lot of bloat, and they basically inflate and they die. Like it's it's very problematic. So in a couple of days of just drinking the humic and fulvic treated water, all these other cows just restored back to normal, totally fine. And so we've got a pet supplement, we've got the livestock size, and then we've got our human supplement. And I'm sure Ken might have his with him. I just realized mine's downstairs. Actually,
2: no, I don't. They're on they're on the shelf. And don't forget, we have discount codes for for your stuff. We uh, do, in the description, guys, so you guys can get a discount on the the products as well.
1: Absolutely.
2: <laughs>
0: so you've like totally sold me on on your stuff. Um, I can't wait to go on your site and get um, your your uh, humic and kelp blend. What was that one called again? Humonic. Humonic. Can do you think we could get? uh leah's website up here and kind of
1: quad.ag
0: okay let me oh,
2: okay i don't have two monitors i'm on my laptop and i can't okay, see where it. so you, you, you did have you
1: did just that. have it up it was quad it's quad.ag
0: um, i got this
1: yeah and that should redirect to quadag.com or you just go to quadag.com
0: it's loading, but I want to get, I want to get your site up here. Yeah. I want to show it off. Okay. I'm going to go to the shop.
1: Mm-hmm. We already have preset bundles on our site as well that give you like our organic bundle bundle is our, all three of our organic products. Um, our core program is the Humonic and phalonic because really they adapt into any system, no matter what you're growing. The fuel product is the one that is not organic, but you'll see in the names, Humonic OIM, it is CDFA OIM, so by California standard, which is the highest.
0: Well, great. very cool. Yeah. So, a liter for 33, and you said you're using one milliliter per gallon? Well, wow. one
1: milliliter per plant per week. So one depending-
2: milliliter per week.
1: Yeah. So, however you feed. So, some people feed once a week. They feed twice a week. Some guys feed every single day. Like they they do they spoon feed. So, instead of trying to uh, have an input program, and we do have an input the mills per liter. It can be one to two mil per liter, um, but again, it depends on on how you're growing. Uh, living soil, I would say do maybe, yeah, the one to two mil per liter, so the four to eight mil per gallon um, as a drench. Um, usually with a soil mix, we would say two, uh, 10 milliliters per gallon of soil. But when you're doing it like a big garden bed, that's a lot of soil and that's a lot of product and you don't need you don't need it everywhere. Really just focus on how many, roughly how many gallons of soil is where your plant's root mass is gonna be, where that root ball is that's really all you're going to be treating. That's all you really need to treat because over time the, the humix will break down and, and, and develop in that living soil. That's, they'll be, they'll be in there naturally over time. What we're doing is just kind of giving it a bit of a, a boost on that, on that carbon.
0: Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to pick up some of this, uh, was it the humonic one? This is the one that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Help. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely going to pick this one up. And then you said you have another website um, that are products for humans and for their gut?
1: Yeah, that's Ionic Aid.
0: And that's not on this website?
1: It's not on this website. No, it's different. Ionic Aid, A-I-D, dot com.
0: Let me, I'm going to have to edit.
2: And and it's on the screen uh, uh, for you. So you can just look at the screen. The the spelling is there.
1: And what we have right now on ionic aid is our fulvic trace mineral complex. So it's an electrolyte concentrate as a supplement. So you take a teaspoon once or twice a day. And it, I mean, I've, it's, it's always really funny because I, People will buy it or I'll give it out to a friend. Um, and, then, and I'm like, so how are you feeling? And they're like, I feel like I have a bit of energy. Like, it's it's weird. Like, it's subtle, but it's there. People who have had SIBO have come back and been like, I am symptom-free. Like, touch wood. But I haven't had any symptoms. Um, and really, it, fo- it can really improve inflammatory issues. Um, we really focus on the gut health aspect of it. Because if you can balance the gut health, it is so connected to so many other parts of our overall wellness. The gut brain access, if you have really healthy gut, you're producing more serotonin in your gut tissue than you do in your brain. So if you have a happy, healthy gut, you have a better sense of well being and, and, and happiness and, 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 and contentment. Um, and, the, and those stressors and even just that sub, subtle, constant discomfort can cause a lot of stress. Stress can lead to different forms of inflammation and it can exacerbate other inflammatory issues. So I have celiac disease and I also have Hashimoto's. So I have two inflammatory autoimmune conditions where when I wasn't taking this consistently, before we even formulated this, we were drinking basically the Folonic, our garden product, We were basically drinking that doesn't taste the best. So we're like, we have to make it taste really good. (laughs) But our product is our, if you you talk to any other folic acid company, be like, would you drink your folic acid? They'd be like, Oh no. But we go, Oh yeah, we have for years. And then it came down to like, we've got to make it taste better. And because we use a citric acid as the extractant. It has a citrusy, I've described this as like a dirty, dirty, dirty lemon water.
2: tastes good.
1: It does because it's citrus ginger. It gives you that citrusy, like almost like a lemonade, but it's got a little bit of spice to it. Not a lot. Ginger is good for gut as well. Um, And then the fulvic acid is just improving your nutrient uptake. It's improving hydration. If you're getting better mineral uptake, there's a, Host of metabolic functions in your body that will perform better. So we're really targeting um, as our overall company is replenishing. Humic and fulvic, where they've been stripped out of our natural food cycle. We wouldn't need a fulvic acid supplement for us to consume if our food was grown consistently in healthy, rich soil where they're exposed to humic and fulvics because the fulvics assimilate into the entire plant, including the fruit, which we would then eat. And with animals, if they're grazing out in a pasture, they're picking up dirt with that grass, which is giving them humic acid and fulvic acid. But a lot of commercial um, livestock are not in that kind of pasture raised holistic environment. They don't have that experience. And so the quality of that product suffers. So the whole ecosystem really has been depleted over many, many decades. Hundred plus years of our farming practices of depleted humic and fulvic and organic matter out of our soil, leading us to trying to fill, um, leading to fill, uh, pump in more fertilizer, thinking that if you feed the plant, then that's going to make the plant produce better. But it's not. You feed the soil, the soil feeds the plant, then the plant better. So we're looking at like, you know, filling those gaps all the way along.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is that you should eat dirt. Yeah, essentially.
1: yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So you know, awesome. when, back in the day when we would make mud pies and get all on our face and we like we'd be eating dirt and we wouldn't get sick the way that everybody gets sick nowadays. It's because you're, you're you're feeding yourself with microbes and other components that are are help helping your body and helping your gut. But yeah, absolutely. Eat dirt. I'm gonna
0: go out there. I'm gonna go eat some of my dirt. Well, this has been fantastic um we have a little bit of time left um ken can we bring up some questions
2: okay uh let's start with the one that i just popped up here uh what rate did she ingest the full uh phalonic
1: so the phalonic we would do um one like but one to two milliliters we would add to like a half a teaspoon to a teaspoon we would add to a water bottle or add to juice, um, I feed it to my kids. Like, yeah, it's it, you don't need a lot of it. Um, our ionic aid is five mils, so it's one teaspoon because we've blended in other electrolytes. So we've got calcium, magnesium, potassium, and vitamin D3. So you get a really good electrolyte and mineral replacement. Um, and so that one is five, five mils, so one teaspoon once or twice a day. I know my husband loves to use it lots. He'll do at least two a day. I, I find that if I'm working out or I'm exercising, I love having it in my water bottle. I, I, when I'm working out, I don't know why. I just don't like the taste of plain water, but I don't want something sweet. Um, there's no sugar. There's no sweetener in our product, but it has a sweetness to it. It's it, just the flavor of the, the, that ginger and citrus has. It, it adds, I don't know, a, a, a something that makes the water just taste really good. And then usually we've been working with, actually, Sneak Peat. Um, we're playing with our humic and fulvic and a extract for humans. So this is really going to focus on real gut imbalance, for sure. Um, and, and severe digestive issues, for sure. But the cinilin, it's a cinnamon extract um it the 20 to 1 ratio that we use in here and cinnamon is actually been shown and 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 cinnamon is shown to be a good uh blood regulator blood sugar regulator but just to show like it's black
2: Mm -hmm.
1: like it's a very that was just one drop and it's black but if i add it i'll do that i'll add it to my
0: looks like balsamic vinegar almost
1: yep totally yes So adding it, oh, no, I've got a little window on my water bottle. So you can see. Swing. Like, it's flat, <laughs> But you mix it, and then it just looks like dark water. But, you know, in this one, it's, again, one to two milliliters um, every time. I'll take this at night. I just like it at night. It's just got a real hint of cinnamon. There's something about the part of our formulation process, I'm like, I like that little hint of cinnamon. It's very subtle. If you've ever had too much cinnamon, you know how it can get really bitter. I want to sort of uh, offset that bitterness, but we don't ever want to add sugar because as a blood sugar regulator, we want this to be able to be used by people who are diabetic or insulin resistant, for example, that uh, it's something that they can use. helps to reduce inflammation. Diabetes is an inflammatory disease. So we're really trying to focus on Um, just improving those symptoms and trying to get at improving the the gut health because it's connected to so many things.
2: So as for the next question, uh, the discount code, guys, if you go to the description on YouTube and uh, you go scroll down, you'll see discount codes and that's where the the discount code is and what you're supposed to type in uh, so you get it right.
1: I think you've even got it as a link. You can just copy and paste and click the link and it'll go right through. Yep. You think it, auto- it should automatically apply the discount to the cart?
2: I hope so. It I should. Hope so, <laughs> so um, Doctor Faust was saying they use fulvic late into flour for hemp as it helps reduce the con uh, content. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts?
1: I've I've heard this. Yes. Um, fulvic acid late into flour, especially if you're for you know, with if you're not. If it's not smokable flower, obviously, we, we always try to encourage staying away from the flower itself, the actual flower on the plant. Um, but yeah, there have been studies to show that the use of oh. acid later into flower in hemp will reduce the, the THC. Um, it allows the plant to actually um, convert more to CBD. So you actually see higher CBD and less THC. So if you're working with a hemp strain that's kind of towing that line, that if you do use more um, fulvic later into the flowering stage, closer to harvest. I even got guys that use just a fulvic solution, our fulvic solution as their flush. Because if you just use the RO water, often it can cause a shock on the plant. And now you're stressing the plant out at a very pivotal time where you really want it to finish well, you don't want it to stress. But if you're using the fulvic acid, there is a mineral content in there. You're not adding any nutrients, but it's offsetting that potential stress. So you are, and fulvic being, when it's assimilated into the plant, the plant can expel any excess that it might have. And that's one of the sort of that self-regulation that can happen as well. So we found guys that actually really like using the fulonic as part of that flush stage.
2: So, Which
0: makes a lot of so, sense. so so are you saying that that's limited to t- low THC specific strains?
1: If you want to lower the THC or keep prevent limit the or inhibit the plant or limit the plant from producing more THC, there are studies that have shown using folic acid through flour with hemp can actually reduce the th- the THC. Um, cause a lot of regions will have, if you're going to use hemp for CBD, you have to have less than 0.3%. Sure. Right. So yeah. If you're, there's certain strains that are kind of towing that line, um, and they want to make sure that they're reducing or minimizing the amount of THC, they can use fulvic acid through flour. Yeah. And we
0: want to boost our THC levels. So
1: but not when you're not when you're harvesting hemp for hemp specifically for cbd mm-hmm. if you're extracting cbd out of hemp the uh-huh. only a lot of the the hemp has to be that that solution those extracts have to be less than 0.3% thc Oh, i understand
0: yeah 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 i'm just trying to get how one species of or one phenotype you know that's been selected for low thc is going to have thc content reduced while one that's selected for high thc is going to have it increased i guess i just don't Maybe I don't understand that.
1: Most hemp is grown outdoors. So you're in an outdoor environment. Um, Yeah, I can't, I can't speak to, I haven't read in depth about those studies and what exactly they're, they're saying is happening. I've, I've heard that. Um, I haven't had experience with it. I know it's been asked and I'm like, I haven't seen it and it's not really what we work with. Mm -hmm. Um, But in all, in terms of what we're looking for is bigger yields um, in cannabis, we found higher overall cannabinoids. And I think it really does have to do with those strains themselves. And what are they inherently more likely to produce? Okay. Because some strains are going to produce more than another. But I have read studies and um, and heard of other studies. And I guess it's, a, it's also a rabbit hole to go down. Um, that it can reduce. And we're not talking like it eliminates the THC. Yeah. It just encourages the plant to produce what it's more it's like,
0: like it, it encourages its genetic expression exactly yeah. okay cool yeah. very cool
2: and that was it for questions ladies so um i don't know if we want to end it there or you guys want to keep going for a few minutes or we want.
0: i don't know i don't know <laughs> do you have anything else you would, you would like to talk about leah thank you so much for coming on the show
1: Oh, my pleasure. I think we've uh, covered the plants, the animals, the humans. (laughs) Okay. That's what we do.
2: Pretty much much everything.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And everyone, please check out Leah's uh, website, uh, Quad Ag, her company, Quad Ag. Um, It's quad.ag, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm definitely going to be getting some of your products. I'm really interested in, in seeing the results in my living soil system. And I encourage everyone else to check it out too. That and uh, thank you for tuning in to the sun and the moon and we'll catch y'all next week.
2: Okay. And as for the channel guys, of course I have uh, the live stream of pot fights tomorrow in Vancouver. Leah, you might want to stick around and see if we can get you down there for that. That uh, <laughs> starts from four twenty. supposed to run until 11 o'clock. And then we have a double shot of John Ruffello on Monday. He's on the OG's Power Hour, and then he's also going to be coming on with Layton Morrison in the afternoon. Since uh, our Queen of the Sun Grown is inconvenienced right now, so he's going to cover it for that. Amazing. Other than that, guys, thank you so much for coming, Leah. Thank you as always.
1: My pleasure. Um, I'm going to have to
2: get you on with John as well because uh, I know yep, you guys got... absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because we are going to hit it off again and again and again. But Anyway, guys, with that, peace out, everybody. Love you all and have a great night. Amazing.
1: Thank you, guys.